Welcome in Rose City to another edition of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark here with Chris Reifer. The Portland Thorns will be our, our first topic of conversation. They lost 2-0 to the Houston Dash in a game where they rotated a number of bench players in. Irene uh, Wilkinson spoke post game about the importance of rotating players in for the long run. Uh, but the result, obviously, you know, they're disappointed with. Uh, prior to that, they they drew the Washington Spirit one to one in a game that I I really think showcased the, the greatness of those two teams. Uh, so, you know, the, the the Thorns are in a spot now where they're uh, they have two draws uh, and a loss in the last three games. Um, not where they want to be necessarily, but. Um, they still showcase to me the, the capabilities of a top level club. Yeah. I think they've sort of hit their first wave of turbulence uh, that frankly, I, I think we probably expected them to hit sort of more significantly earlier than they have. But uh, you know, this, this is, I think genuinely their first wave of turbulence. They're struggling right now, both a little bit in the back where they, they, they've given up a few more chances than, than they were earlier in, in the season. And, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, that certainly got them, uh, against Houston to some extent against Washington. You know, I mean, we, yeah, I think we talked about the Washington game a little bit last week, but that was very much the case. Uh, the spirit had, had a decent number of chances, especially in that second half, including one that was, uh, that was, uh, flagged offside. And so I think they're struggling a little bit defensively. I haven't quite figured out why just yet <laughs> it's been a little bit difficult, uh, more difficult for me to diagnose in, in part because it's a little bit of a new problem, but it's certainly been, been, you know, notable enough to, 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 to attract attention. Right. Um, but the biggest thing is, is I think in the attack, they've just been really inconsistent. Uh, and I think one thing that, that is maybe something that they just sort of need to start to grapple with is that Christine Sinclair really is just much better suited now for a deeper role than she is for leading the line. And I think that has become apparent over the course of the, the last few weeks because of rotation uh, and, and, uh, and minutes management. They've sort of just had to play somebody else up front with either Morgan Weaver or Sophia Smith, obviously. And they've chosen to, to have, have Sink do that. And frankly, she's just not nearly as effective when – she's playing in a forward role than when she's able to drop deeper in the midfield and dictate the game from there a little bit. Uh, and I also think it's made it more difficult for the team as a whole to sort of stretch the field and to find the spaces in which players like Sophia Smith and Morgan Weaver are most devastating. And, and especially with respect to Smith, but also uh, to, to a reasonable extent with, with Weaver, they are devastating when you can get them in space. There's a billboard about it now with, with Smith. So, you know, I mean, the, that needs to be a lot of what they're trying to do uh, in, in, in their system. And I think a lot of that gets disrupted when they put Sinclair higher. It's weird to say that the all-time leading goal scorer probably isn't best suited to play as a forward anymore. Uh, that is a strange thing to say. I, I fully admit that. Uh, but that's also just the reality of, of sort of how careers evolve uh, a little bit. And we've seen Sinclair be extremely effective. Still one of the Thorns' best players when she's able to play a bit deeper. And so I think that's got to be the approach going forward. I think Reen has to consider uh, at least playing uh, when when she can't play either of uh, uh, of Smith or Weaver. She She should take a look at putting Becky into one of those spots because I think she does have the ability uh, to provide some of that field stretching uh, that Weaver and Smith seem to provide really well when they're playing together. 
And, you know, I, I, I think that's something that they're, that they're figuring through. That's not to say that that's the only issue, uh, by any means, but that is one that I've seen that, that I think is, uh, is something that they're, they're going to have to work through in order to get beyond this, this initial stage. But I, I do think that they've now sort of hit their, their first turbulence, um, which, you know, I mean, that, that was, I, I think we probably didn't talk about it enough <laughs> that, that, that it was an eventuality, but it was an eventuality. And, uh, and, and, you know, the way coaches are often measured and the way teams are measured, uh, over the course of an entire season, uh, is, is how they work through these things, how quickly they work through these things and how they come out of them. Uh, and, and that's now there's the question for the thorns. Right. And, and I think that some of the defensive issues that you talked about, many of them, particularly against the dash occurred on the counter attack. Um, so, you know, recovery, um, se- seems to be the thing that has stood out to me at least, so far uh in in some of these defensive lapses because otherwise in in the in the regular run of play you know they they seem to defend pretty damn well especially considering the formations that they're going with you know they they drop people back when they need to you know tactically they're a, a very good defensive team and we saw that against OL Reign um and we saw that against the Washington Spirit you know one goal between those two games the only one being scored by the Spirit in a in a kind of freak situation that that the Spirit did score but that was I believe on the counter attack it was sort of a ball in uh that that yeah i mean actually was it it was Sanchez who scored now I'm, this is what happens when you when you get uh when you watch soccer for a lot of years all the games start just like melding together um was it hatch maybe the, the, the and, and now I can't even remember who scored the goal but in any event it was sort of a ball in in a moment you're right uh where it was a little bit of a transitional moment um but it, it was sort of a ball in into the box that she she beat Bella Bixby to the other was it was another ball in in, in from wide spaces but I generally agree with you I think the the thorns have struggled a little bit to defend on the counter and sort of the thing that I've been kicking around in my head is whether this thorns team you know is not the team that we have seen sort of dictate the flow of games really well in the past and, and really sort of keep their, you know, control of games uh, with the ball a lot in years past that maybe this team is just going to be better suited to sitting a little bit deeper defensively and then really looking to just be devastating uh, with their ability in the open field on the counterattack themselves. Uh, I've, I've been, I've been kicking around that theory. Uh, I'm not sure it's workshopped uh, and ready quite for prime time. So, so put this in the Nathan Fogasa is the answer, um, category of takes that I I've entitled to, to bail on, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but I, I think I agree with you that, that, that has, uh, has been a, a, a bit of a, um, of a, uh, of a pattern, but I, I, you know, it is also though worth saying, that's just how a lot of soccer goals happen. So, you know, I mean, you can give up some some goals on the counterattack and not necessarily have a a problem with it because that's frankly to some extent just soccer. Yeah, no, and and I think that, you know, Reen Wilkinson came to the defense of the the bench players who contributed to to that um that game against Houston where they lost. Um she she said, you know, this loss was not on them, but at the same time, you know, you have you know, reserve players in there who who may not be as steady as a Becky Sauerbrunn or, or somebody else who who's in that position. And I understand the importance of rotating, and I I f- agree with Rain's sentiment. I think that in the long term, the teams who rotate and the teams who uh, may take these lumps as a result are going to be better for it in the long run. 
because you're going to have players who are more comfortable coming in in situations of injury or illness or opportunity. And you're also going to have starting players who are more rested, more fresh, and, and ready to roll at the end of the season because it's hard, especially considering so many of the individual players on this team have national team duty uh, that is going to be strenuous for them uh, as this season progresses. Um, many of the key contributors of this team are going to have national team duty, uh, whether it be for Canada, the U.S., or otherwise. It's important to balance that as much as you can, but this this is often going to be something that pops up. You know, you you run into a team like Houston, which is on paper a, a worse team than Portland, but you know the NWSL is such that uh, a team like that can still put together an excellent full game performance and beat a team like Portland, uh, particularly when it's got those bench players in there. So I, I agree completely with, with Wilkinson in, in, in saying that, that teams that rotate uh, do well uh, in, in the end, because I mean, for, for the reasons that you just stated, um, yeah, teams, teams do, that, that have sort of established uh, experienced bench, bench players rotate well. And look, I mean, especially in the NWSL shield race, that is just one of the realities of the NWSL, right? Uh, it is uh, a, a league that if you want to win the shield, you have to be deep because of the amount of national team uh, windows uh, that they have, the number of important players who were called out uh, onto national teams. Yeah, the bottom line is if you want to be a shield contending team uh, in NWSL, you need to be a team that's deep. And, and so I agree completely that, that it is – it is worthwhile for the Thorns to be working these players into the regular rotation so that they can be called upon um, uh, in, in these moments. And so the Thorns, over the long run at least, can be a team that is well positioned to compete for the Shield as they did last year and winning it, of course, uh, but also in, in, in future years. So I, I think that's important uh, for the long run. Uh, I also think that, that the performances from the last week or so show that they've got a little bit of room to grow there. Uh, that they that that they need to grow because you know I mean the 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 whole point is you need to be getting some of these results uh, when you rotate uh, and that's not to say that you're going to win every game but you need to be able to win some and because that's uh, that's the objective uh, and you know there there's always a journey to the objective and I think it's fair to say that the thorns are on that journey. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, it, it, the dropped results are dropped results, uh, and, uh, they're not the end of the world, especially this early in the season, but it's something that, that, you know, I think they need to be, uh, kind of acknowledging. And, and I think they are, uh, acknowledging, uh, that, that this is some genuine turbulence. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm certainly not reaching for the panic button with the thorns as I am with some other teams that we might talk about later. <laughs> um, uh, I'm certainly not reaching for the panic button with the thorns. I don't think there's any reason to reach for the, for the panic button with the thorns. Um, but I, I, I do think it's, uh, it's, it's a matter of, they've got to figure out some of these death pieces. They've got to figure out some of these systemic issues. Uh, if they want to be the team that I think they showed and have showed pretty convincingly over the first stretch of the season and in the challenge cup that they can be. Absolutely. And uh, their next game is Saturday against the Chicago Red Stars kickoff scheduled for 5 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, you can find that one streaming on Twitch. Uh, and, and then from there, you know, June 3rd is, is an exciting moment for, for the Thorns. They return home. They host Angel City FC. But that game, in addition to streaming on Paramount Plus, as was initially going to be the case, uh, will also be broadcast on Fox 12 Plus. So, 
that'll be a good moment for exposure for the thorns. You know, there hasn't been much in the way of local broadcasts uh, specifically dedicated to to the thorns. And, and this will be essentially the Paramount Plus stream on Fox 12 Plus. But regardless, um, you know, in terms of exposure for the club, I think it's really important. It's a good step. And it's 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 a good step in a year that has been really exciting for NWSL on on many fronts in terms of media rights, sponsorships, uh, and, and the like. Uh, it feels like it's a it's starting to be a little bit of a sea change for the league uh, broadly, uh, and it, and it's important to see these kinds of things start to pop up more and more uh, with clubs. So it it is. Uh, I know a lot, you know, the, the, the reaction from some folks at least is going to be, uh, you know, Fox 12 plus what's the big deal not to like throw shade at, uh, at, at local media athlete, uh, outlets. Um, but it is a big deal that women's soccer games are going to be, are more and more starting to be broadcast, uh, in many of the same ways that men's games are. Uh, and, and it's, it's a, uh, it's a sort of the proof of concept of what many have been saying over the course of decades <laughs> uh, about the potential of, of where women, women's sports can go. And so, uh, and so it is, it is a, a it is only a step, uh, but it's a good step. Absolutely. The other subject of, of this podcast, the regular subject of this podcast uh, are our good pals, the Portland Timbers um, who as, as, Chris noted We're not uh, right now. Yeah, they're they're uh in a little bit of a tough spot. They they're teetering essentially. I I think. Um they their most recent result was May 22nd they lost to the uh Philadelphia Union 2-0 in a game they really I didn't think had much of a chance in from the start. Um they got crushed. The, they got crushed. The Union didn't even really play a very good game offensively and yet they essentially dominated it uh their defense was superb beyond physical uh they essentially had like 10 diego Charas out there throwing bows and getting in in people's faces uh diego had a, a case when it comes to his yellow card not being a yellow card um i think but at the at the same time you know Big you got deal. I mean, that happens. No big deal. It is what it is. You know, he gets targeted sometimes and it sucks, but that's not the reason why they lost this game. You know, they, they right now are looking like a team that's, that's floundering and and is lacking the personnel to, to lift itself out of that flounder. Now they play Miami next, which is an opportunity against a pretty awful team generally this season. Yeah. They've been in a little bit better form. They did, however, have to go into extra time into penalties in their open cup game last night against Orlando in which they played a decent, not all of their starters, but a decent number of them. Uh, and then brought a number of them on at about the hour who then also had to play another hour. So the, the Timbers do have some benefit there, uh, going into Miami, but for sure, uh, let's, let's talk about this Philly game for a little bit. What were your, I mean, what were your sort of overall impressions from the game itself? For the first half of the game, I, I legitimately just saw a Portland team that was outclassed. Um, I, I think that Philadelphia showcased why it was the top team in the East, despite how clustered, you know, the, the Eastern Conference standings are, uh, and and how little we should probably put into that until we get a little further down the line. Um, but but Philly plays the kind of gritty, you know, in your face type of defense that. Um, few teams in MLS can, can really say that they do. I don't think Portland defends like that. Um, they have the, 
they don't really have the personnel to do it, first of all. And second of all, that's just not really how they play. Um, Portland came back in the second half and was a little better. And I thought that the goal that was disallowed from Sebastian Blanco was a potential moment of turnaround where they, they capture the momentum um, and potentially bring it back to a draw because, you know, Philly was pretty anemic offensively in the second half. Part of that was because they parked the bus and part of it was they just weren't playing terribly well on that end. Um, but the air just poofed out of the balloon <laughs> uh, when the goal was disallowed. And then it, from that point on, it was just kind of a slow death march to the end there. Um, the San Jose game, you go back to that and then have this loss two in a row since the seven to two explosion. Uh, the idea that that seven to two game was going to be um, a potential catalyst, which which we talked about being potentially the case on on one of our previous podcasts, it was a one off. It was a one off for sure. I mean, we can we can pretty much say that at this point. Uh, Casey had a, an all timer of a brutal defensive performance, allowing those seven goals. Um, and I think that that game was less ab- about showcasing Portland's potential as much as it was um, a one-off. Bigger indictment of Kansas City than it was a a proof of concept for the Timbers. Right. And, you know, I, th- I think Gio Savarese has a, a decent point. We spoke this week um, a- after training, and he said, look, we we have been in essentially every game except for Dallas, which – I don't agree with that necessarily on all of the games. I, I think that a good many of the draws that occurred, uh, Portland could easily have gotten a win. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and if you didn't get the win, you didn't get the win, and you're two points shy of where you want to be. So, you know, I, I don't think that they're making excuses necessarily. I, I think that historically, particularly in the last few years, the this Timbers team is a second-half team uh last year was the case they they turned it on in the second half of the season and made a run to mls cup this feels different though this feels like the the issues in terms of personnel really are not going to be fully solved or salved even a little bit until um until a move is made in the summer um you know fogasa has i think filled in admirably and been more effective than Jaroslavnys Goda so far uh, at the striker position. I think that in the midfield there are some people who have stood out, some who have uh, been a bit disappointing. I, I think you might look at somebody like Yimmy Chara as someone who started out the season very strong, but has essentially kind of disappeared into the background uh, as as these games have progressed. And then the rotating cast of characters on the back line. Uh, you know, they started out the season really strong, too. You know, you had that combination of Zach McGraw and Bill Tuiloma that were really, really good for those first couple games. And then Gio at the time was talking about, yeah, I have four starters at that position. But now uh, you're not so sure. You know, Tuiloma, to me, is is the lone presence back there who, who should be a constant. Um, he's the leading scorer on the team this year, which is another indictment of their productivity on the Good attack. For Bill, bad for the team. Good for Bill. Uh, right on you, mate. Bad, bad for the um, team, I think, because they're, they're not getting the productivity they need from other guys. Um, so, so the moves, you know, that make sense to me, and we've talked about these before, is is moving on from Nisgoda in the summer. Um, 
moving on from Von Runkeen in the summer uh, and finding guys not only at those positions but others where you can have legit difference makers. You know, I think that even a a solid right back would be a welcome addition. Uh, oh yes. Then then from what they've <laughs> been getting right from the position, would be a very welcome addition. Uh, and the big money can be spent elsewhere. You know, the the attacking midfield, the striker sh- uh, position. Uh, so we'll see. You know, so I'm going to talk specifically about the Philly game because I, you know, I, I do disagree with Gio that the Timbers were in, in the game against the union. Um, I, if I were Gio, I would be livid about both of the first 20 minutes and the last 15 minutes. I would be disappointed in the middle of the game because it's not like that was good. Um, but I would be livid about the first 20 minutes in the last 15 minutes. The first 20 minutes were totally unacceptable. Uh, I mean, the first 20 minutes were the, were the kind of performance that if you put it in on the road, you get crushed. That's a four zero or five zero game. And, and frankly, the Timbers were pretty lucky. They had a few let offs where it very easily after 20 minutes and sort of the, the XG plots, uh, very much confirm this could have been down two or three zero 20 minutes in, and it would have been entirely deserved. They were horrible in those first 20 minutes. Philly was the first to every single ball. They were getting first, they were winning the first and second balls on every single set piece. And even though I hate them, long throws, which is how they gave up the first goal, two uncompetitive, frankly, wins of the first and second ball by 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 Philly. Um resulted in that goal. Nice, nice strike by guys dog to to with the overhead volley. Uh jumping on bike town. Uh the the bike town here thing here. Not a bicycle kick. Again, I'm using it because it's a meme. I talk in memes. We've talked about this before. Yeah, I uh, understand. But, uh, but you know, I, it, nice, so nice finish. I don't want to take anything away from him. But the, the, the union just crushed the Timbers in those first 20 minutes. And it's because the Timbers, frankly, didn't show up. And if I were Gio Savarese, I would be extremely upset. Because that was an important game, right? The Timbers need some points going into this June break. Uh, and they need to start getting points at home, something that they've not done a good job of. Uh, they've been passable on the road, but they've been terrible at home. And so to come in in a game where they can get three points, again, this is a, an Eastern Conference team traveling on short rest, coming to, you know, across the country. It's exactly the kind of game that the Timbers have have showed up and beaten teams that are better than them in the past pretty convincingly just because of the circumstances surrounding the game. And if you watch the first 20 minutes of that team, you would think it was the Timbers that had flown across the country on short rest to come play the game because they were just awful. And if I was Geo, that's exactly what I would tell a team, <laughs> that they were awful in those first 20 minutes. Thereafter, I, I think they grew into the game a little bit, but they were only sort of in the game. They weren't particularly dangerous. And uh, I, I think one of the things Gio told you that I think is right, but has been a larger problem than perhaps he spoke to, is that they had lots of good attacking moments, but not, so, not good chances. In many respects, that's one of the stories of the season. They've had lots of good attacking moments. They have gotten themselves into lots of good spots. They have not done the things on the ball and off the ball that they need to create good chances which is why they're bad. And, you know, I mean, they we're, we're at the point of the season where you are your record. 
right? I mean, we're, we're deep enough in what 14, 15 games in now where like kind of no explaining it anymore. The, the, you can, you can explain individual games. You can explain, you know, maybe a tough turnaround here and there, but we're at the point we played enough games where you are your record and the Timbers have had some injuries, but like that's soccer. For the most part, they've just been undone by poor performances. Uh, and, uh, and I think that first 20 minutes was, was among the worst. I also thought that after the, the Blanco goal was disallowed, there was a conversation to be had about VAR there, but I think it's a conversation we've had before. And I, you know, it's what it is, you you know, the way you put it was right. The air went out of the balloon. (laughs) They had, they had established some degree of momentum aided by the game state, uh, some degree of momentum uh, coming into that. They got what looked like a goal. And once it was disallowed, all right, we're done. I mean, they, they never looked even halfway dangerous after that. Uh, which if I were Geo, I would be pretty concerned about. Uh, because, you know, that speaks not only to uh, to sort of the person, you know, kind of the personnel issues or anything tactical going on. That speaks, frankly, just to competitiveness. Uh, and frankly, in the last 10 or 15 minutes of that game, they looked perfectly fine getting their butts kicked on their home field. And the, like they were just okay with it. Yeah, one last point I will make on this before we head out is is that this break, this this opportunity for the Timbers to have three, three weeks between the Miami game and their next game at LA Galaxy um, is a welcome one. And Geo said said as much when I spoke to him this week that you know the timing is good because you have players like Eric Williamson, like Yaroslav Nizkoda, and even Felipe Mora who is um, targeting a late June return. Um, that's that's time that they can spend resting, recovering, and even the guys who aren't injured or the ones who may just be dinged up. Um, this is a welcome break for them because. They're they're really, uh, for lack of a better term, limping into this break, whether it be their performances or their literal limping because of injury, you know. So um I, I think it's good that this is coming when it is. Uh, a win against Miami would be a nice little boost, a little momentum uh heading into this break. Uh because a few wins in a row here, uh, and you're you're in the playoff race that that's how things are right now it's not you know portland's having a rough season no doubt about it but you put together a nice you know five or six game stretch where you get three or four wins and a draw or two um and and you're talking about being in a top five position in the conference i mean real salt lake is what are they top three now that's a team that that when they came into portland um the feeling of of drawing that game was extreme disappointment because of how they had looked prior. So Our, I, I think RSL stinks. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're yeah, what? Yeah, and, 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 and yet they're, they, they have found more results, frankly, than they should. They are fourth right now, 22 points in the Western conference. Portland is 10th at 15 points. Uh, Rail Salt Lake has a negative three goal differential, uh, which is the same as Portland. So, um, that seven two helped. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the seven two did not hurt that uh, that margin there. Otherwise, you know, but it, yeah. but it, I, I guess the one place where I disagree with you a little bit is that I think it it doesn't feel that different from the past. 
Uh, I think the Timbers have sort of stared into this abyss before. Um, and they have in the past, not always, but they have in the past sort of stepped away from the abyss. But I do feel like that's where the team is right now. Uh, and, and the performance against the Union very much made me feel like this is a team that is staring into the abyss. And it is possible that they'll, as they have in the past uh, at, at times, sort of turn around from this uh, and put together a, a second half of the season that's very good. But it's also possible that this could kind of go the way of 2019 or 2016, where they kind of get just get to that abyss and maybe they muddle through a little bit and don't entirely you know disappear into it. They kind of did in 2016. Um, but it's also possible that they just disappear into it. But but in any event, I think that's where they are. Uh, and um, I, I think there should be some alarm. Uh, and, and you know, I, th- that's not to say that, that they're impervious to that uh, or that they don't know that. I, I, you know, they know. They, too, know that they, that they are who they're – what their record is. Um, and, uh, and, yeah. But, I, you know, the simple reality is both in form – uh, and in table, they are closer to the wooden spoon right now than they are in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and that's not a good place to be. No, it is not. And um, I, I should note that Rich on Twitter um, asked the Soccer Made in Portland account this week, uh, should this week's show be titled Panic or Relax? Um, so the so last bit of, of questioning for you neither. here. Neither. So neither panic nor relax, just true okay. neutral. I mean, not neutral, concern. Lean panic, Al- then. Alarm. Yeah, lean panic. I, I would say alarm, uh, not panic. Uh, this is a problem that needs to be solved. Uh, they need to start turning around, and they need to do it pretty quickly. Um, you know, the, the, the June break is certainly going to be an opportunity uh, for them to do that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's urgent. Because they just they I mean they simply just can't allow too many more games to go by. Uh, because if they do, then they are going to find themselves further underwater than than they can than they can dig out from. Um, but it's not time to panic uh, for the for the reason that we just talked about. We've kind of been in this spot before uh, as as Timbers fans, and and the team has 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 at times pulled pulled out of it. Uh, there were equally dark moments in both 2015, uh, 2018, uh, and uh, and, and 2021, um, and those seasons ended well, one of them in it with a championship. So, uh, so, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's time to hit the panic button, but I've definitely looked at it a couple of times. Yeah. I, I think the glass casing around the panic button, you're, you're kind of like starting to slowly open it up, see how the hinges sound. You yeah. Know, or you're on, like on tracing the- it with your fingers or something like that. Yeah. 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 I I would say I, I would agree with you generally. I, I think you would lean panic at this point, but I don't think that you should be full blown panicked at this point if you're a Timbers fan. But if your attitude is relax, and if the Timbers attitude is relax, that abyss is is awfully close. Yeah, it's coming for you if you if yeah, you, if no you question. are not uh, not paying full attention to it. That'll wrap it up for us here on Soccer Made in Portland. For Chris Reifer, I'm Ryan Clark. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Like us, subscribe to us, uh, do what you can to support the pod. Uh, We appreciate everybody for listening, uh, and we'll see you next week.